This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What is Cafe Mocha? Cafe Mocha is experts, celebrities. What's up? This is Belle Bidvoe. This is Julie Idris Elba. This is Fantasia. This is Invo. This is India Ari. Hey, what's up? This is Brandy. Music and features from a woman's perspective. Intriguing conversation. Espresso. The Mocha Mix. So much more. All from a woman's perspective. What flavor are you, baby? This is Cafe Mocha. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What You Need to Know. I am Sybil Wilkes, the editor of the What You Need to Know newsletter, as well as the streaming broadcast. And today, we have a very special program for you, What You Need to Know About Alzheimer's Disease, and especially as it affects the African-American community. We've given you the facts on how it does, and one in two African-American families are affected by Alzheimer's, and today we're going to talk about that with a professional, Dr. Carl Hill, as well as our caregiving advocate, Pat Bailey. Dr. Hill, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. It's, it's an honor to be here with, with you and all of your listeners. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Pat Bailey, welcome back. We're great to we're grateful for your time and for your, your energy, your intellect, and your passion about this subject. So well, you guys are just awesome. Thank you for the continued opportunity. Yes. Thank you. Dr. Carl Hill is the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer for the Alzheimer's Association. That's a lot of titles and a lot of work for you, doctor. What does that mean? I tell you, Sybil, that that means that we're thinking, you know, critically about making sure that everyone's involved in all of our activities with the Alzheimer's Association. We have great resources, uh, being inclusive, intentionally inclusive, and then pursuing equity, giving communities what they need so that they can make informed decisions about Alzheimer's and all of the dementia which is such a critical time of our lives when that does come into our lives, isn't it? So we need all of the help, all of the resources that are available. We need all of them in our lives, which oftentimes, I got to tell you, African-Americans don't feel that we have all that we require or all that we need uh, during times of strife and, and, and great uh, adversity. I mean, you, you can see it right now with the COVID-19 pandemic. It's, yep. it's really shining a bright light on all that we need in our communities and the Alzheimer's Association stands ready to understand how to build that bridge and that we really think that bridge is built with trust and becoming trustworthy and working with communities. So that's why we're really excited about being a part of this discussion today. And Pat Bailey, you have the experience having gone through this with your mom. So um, we're going to have a discussion today about this mm-hmm. and, and how it affects people in general, how it affected you and, and your family, especially. And doctor, if you can give us uh, the critical and technical uh, background on, on a lot of our questions and, and help guide us through this, it would be greatly appreciated. And I'm speaking on behalf of, of our listeners and viewers today. Um, and let's start off with the, the most basic question, which probably is probably uh, one of the most difficult questions to answer for or, or questions for people to understand. But let's talk about Alzheimer's. What is Alzheimer's? What and, and how does that affect us uh, in terms of uh, the whole scheme of dementia? Where does all this work together? I tell you, Sybil, and that is the most important, I think, the fundamental foundational question. So first, 
Alzheimer's disease is a progressive fatal brain disease. Okay, so it's a fatal brain disease. We don't have a treatment today. And the most common form of dementia, right? So we get these terms confused sometimes. And, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia are often used interchangeably, but they're different, right? So dementia is not a specific disease. It's an umbrella term that describes cognitive decline severe enough to interfere with daily living. Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. We've got other kinds of dementia. Uh, you know, I won't go into all of them, but Lewy body dementia, vascular dementia, uh, Parkinson's uh, disease dementia. So many different forms of dementia. Alzheimer's is a kind, a kind of dementia. Um, Lewy body, we've heard of, and I, and I believe that was um, that you know the kinds of things that uh, we talk about in terms of Alzheimer's and Lewy body, and as you said, Parkinson's. And so when you hear about some of these other diseases, you don't think in terms of dementia, do you? Uh, but um, it's it's good to know that we're talking about an umbrella, and all of these different things are w underneath this umbrella, as it were. So um, thank you for explaining that. Um, Let's go with Alzheimer's and mm -hmm. let us say Miss um, Pat has gone mm -hmm. to uh, her doctor with uh, with her mother to her doctor's appointment and talks about some things and, and a diagnosis is made. How do you know that it is Alzheimer's as opposed to something else? And what is going on in the brain that differentiates between these different types of dementia? Yeah, really, really important question there, Ms. Sybil. And I tell you, the most important part of this is really seeing and seeking out dementia care, seeing a doctor so that you can get an appropriate and timely uh, diagnosis. As you mentioned, Lewy body dementia, you know, kind of affecting thinking and memory and movement. Vascular dementia is, you know, different in the way that you see a blood vessel blockage in the brain or frontal temporal dementia, which is nerve loss in the frontal temporal lobes. Mm. So differences between these types of dementia with Alzheimer's is caused by the abnormal buildup of two proteins. I'd love for our listeners and viewers to think about these two proteins, beta amyloid and tau, right? And so uh, beta amyloid forms plaques between brain cells and the tau forms tangles, plaques and tangles um, that disrupt uh, connections inside brain cells, right? So both of these, with this buildup of these two proteins over time, a healthy brain shrinks and decays with Alzheimer's disease. So really important to think of Alzheimer's disease in those ways. Two very important proteins, beta amyloid and tau. Tau, T-A-O? T-A-U, right? T-A-U, and it causes tangles. Tau tangles, double T, tau, tau tangles, and then beta amyloid plaques, Right. And they disrupt brain func function and ultimately the brain shrinks and decays with Alzheimer's disease. Is there any way we can avoid this? Is there something we can do we can take that could avoid the onset of dementia if overall or Alzheimer's specifically? I tell you, Ms. Sybil, the research is telling us now more and more that what's good for the heart is good for the brain. Right. And so I mentioned vascular dementia and what mm -hmm. also you know didn't mention as as clearly was that there's a thing called mixed dementia so mm. our loved ones may have alzheimer's and another type of dementia like vascular dementia uh which could you know really speak to the disparities that we see for for african-americans so when you think about what's good for the heart is good for the brain then you think about diabetes you think about high blood pressure 
you know, stroke, all of the vascular health outcomes mm -hmm. over the life course that could be very important for risk for dementia later in life. So what can we do? Right now, the research is telling us more and more that staying physically active, uh, eating a, a diet that's you know, high in fruits and vegetables, low in saturated fats and sugar, you know, all could be very important for protecting brain health. More research is needed. But mm -hmm. what we can do right now is engage in, in a healthy lifestyle to do all that we can to reduce risk. Yay, good living. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Pat, let, let me ask you this because as a as a caregiver, and you now are a caregiving a caregiver advocate and a caregiving person, would you have done anything differently knowing what you know now? I, I mean, just with these things that, that Dr. Hill has given us. Would you have changed your your whole approach to your mom's Alzheimer's had you known this before? Um, I would say if I were to have changed anything, I would have been better prepared to know that this is in our future. The fact that we are not trying to embrace that this may be a corridor and a pathway for all of us that we may very well experience is a little bit disheartening because there's 220 million people in America over 50 when we get to the year of 2030. Mm -hmm. And since Dr. Hill, he's spoken so eloquently on what the condition is like, why aren't we prepared? And our entire medical system is unprepared. And the biggest aspect of it, our mindset is not prepared. Mm. We are not like, because we never think we're going to get old. We don't think no, that we're going to no. have these things. And, and we don't look at it uh, genetically either, because if our parents or grandparents have, have, have had it or are now um, going through the process of this, we don't think in terms of it ever happening to us. So there's no aging plan. There's no aging plan for our parents. And in addition to that, there's no aging plan for us. Mm -hmm. And we've got to get busy with that. So Dr. Hill, uh, as Ms. Pat has said, we don't, there's no plan. And so we don't, we don't look in terms of that. But um, if we do start on the process, uh, on the path of, of eating better, of exercise and keeping our minds and our brains engaged and things like that, can we beat the odds? Well, more, more research, you know, is needed in this area and we're finding out more and more. Um, but but we do know, again, you know, what's good for the heart is good for for the brain um, mm -hmm. and that we've got to pay very close attention to those early warning signs so that. We OK, can so let's, talk, yes, let, let's talk about that. OK, yes. so let's talk about the signs that we may have seen that we are not taking stock of, that we are not acknowledging the way that perhaps we should. Absolutely, Ms. Hibble. So I mentioned amyloid and tau, right? The progression of Alzheimer's tends to be slow and gradual. So those two proteins may be building in the brain many years before the first symptoms appear. So I would urge our viewers and listeners to go to our website, alz.org. We list the 10 warning signs of Alzheimer's uh, right there, that, in very, that very important resource. But one of the most important signs of Alzheimer's is memory loss, right? Mm -hmm. Especially forgetting recently learned information. Uh, it could also include forgetting dates and events, not paying bills on time. Other common signs include having difficulty doing tasks that once were easily done, right? For example, balancing a checkbook or forgetting a, a favorite uh, recipe. So, so I'd urge our listeners and viewers to go to alz.org to, to take a look at those 10 
early warning signs of Alzheimer's. Ms. Pat, you have a perfect example of that, talking about your mom and what, uh, as, as a woman who was a woman of numbers and understood the importance of everything yes. being in its place and a place for everything, correct? Absolutely, because in adding to the aspect of my mom being a bank teller and not being able to balance her checkbook any longer, the other side of it is the mood swings. Mommy's different, daddy's different. Appetite changes. There are a lot of little keys that we're not paying attention to. And I would tell people oftentimes, watch if food tastes different because we all know something about big mama sweet potato pie. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we really recognize it early on ourselves and we just give it a different name outside of it being what it may very well be. And, and I want to talk about uh, how one in two African-American families are affected by this. So we're talking about a genetic predisposition to this, uh, as, as well as what happens after um, the diagnosis is made, and especially as it affects African-Americans. So Dr. Hill, let's talk about the fact that a lot of people feel as though there is discrimination within this area of dementia, of Alzheimer's, and what can we do about it? How can we circumvent this? Sybil, important area. And as you mentioned to start our conversation, African-Americans twice as likely to have Alzheimer's than, than our white counterparts. And so this, this is a call to action to understand what's going on here. And um, you mentioned a genetic risk, but the research is showing us that there are other factors that may be more important when trying to understand this disparity, right? So there, there is access to dementia care, mm -hmm. access to quality care. Alzheimer's Association just released a report a couple months ago in our facts and figures report that showed that African-Americans experience discrimination in the healthcare system when seeking care, right? And so this, this is really troubling because it gives us this pathway where we know there's a disparity. African-Americans are less likely to, to be recruited into the clinical trials and mm -hmm. the testing treatments for safety and, effect, and, and, and effectiveness. And then once we're able to get African-Americans in the healthcare system, they're reporting in this survey that they are experiencing unfair uh, treatment and racial discrimination. So this means that we've got to do some real important work to engage with communities so that we can get people our communities, the resources that they need to get an early diagnosis, to have more education and awareness, uh, and to, to really be connected to the healthcare system in ways that will be beneficial. This is a great time for us to talk about a phone number or a website where people can get more information if they would like to be a part of the study or uh, if they would like to get more information. Where can people go? Tremendous resource where my colleagues are available 24 hours a day, every day of the year, at 800-272-3900, 800-272-3900. And then our website, you can plug in any term in our, in our, search, our, our search engine there and get so much information at alz.org. And then I would urge our, your viewers and listeners to go to our special report on Alzheimer's and race and ethnicity at alz.org backslash facts. Wonderful information, I think, for a call to action where the Alzheimer's Association is looking to work with national organizations, community-based organizations, so that we can get people, our loved ones, our families in our communities, the resources they need. 
this is a great time for us to take a break, uh, just a breath to kind of collect ourselves because this is a lot of information. Mm. And, it, and as Dr. Hill has said, this is a call to action. Uh, Pat Bailey, who is a caregiver advocate, Dr. Carl Hill with the Alzheimer's Association, and uh, we are just gonna take a moment and breathe. Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network, an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a black perspective. Curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians, Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a yes. point of view. We call that edumatainment. That's what we call it. Edumatainment. Is that what it is? Veteran TV journalist, Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary Funky Divas in Vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. To syndicated broadcast personalities, Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, targeted electronic newsletter, experienced sales representation, for advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective. And we're back. Dr. Carl Hill uh, with the Alzheimer's Association is the Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer for the association. And you oversee strategic initiatives to strengthen the outreach to all populations, providing opportunities with uh, communities with resources and support to address the Alzheimer's crisis as we know it. Um, and it is a crisis as we have an aging uh, population. Uh, but we're also seeing younger people diagnosed with Alzheimer's. It's no longer just an older person's disease. It's it's more like a middle-aged person's or, or middle-aged people are coming into this as well. And Pat Bailey, who is um, a jack of all trades and master of all, uh, she is a caregiver advocate. She has lived through this and she has the experience and she has the words, she has the heart to help people who are going through this with their family members themselves as a caregiver uh, and, and cares for many who are not going through Alzheimer's, but definitely. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, this situation in the African-American community, Dr. Hill, and um, what types of things, we talked a little bit about access to information and once you get into a program, let's let's kind of break it down in terms of discriminations that other uh, Alzheimer's patients of color may experience as they and their families are going through this. Absolutely, yeah. I, you know, so one of the most important parts of this, Sybil, is having access to care, right? So that you can receive yeah. a timely diagnosis and get a treatment plan or regimen that could potentially delay 
the progression of a specific type of dementia, right? So, mm-hmm. so being under a doctor's care in a timely way is so critical and important. And as I mentioned in our Alzheimer's Association Facts and Figures special report on race, ethnicity, and Alzheimer's, we found that African-Americans, Native Americans, Asian Americans, Hispanic Americans, all non-white populations experienced discrimination and perceived civil that they would experience racial discrimination if they sought care for dementia. And it's with caregivers as well, you know, having experienced racial discrimination in the healthcare system. So it's important because one of the specific parts of this discrimination was that they reported they didn't feel like they were being listened to. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's the language barrier. There is the cultural competence and right. accountability to be sure that I feel respected when I seek care. So there's so much to unpackage there. And, and it really speaks to our, our, our need to work with other organizations so that we can build trust in communities and understand how to deliver uh, these important resources, including dementia care. Pat Bailey, did you ever experience any of this? Did you have this going through the process with your mom? Several times. And I, I want to go to this discussion about discrimination because right now there's only 5.3% primary care physicians that are Black in America today. So what that means is, is that I'm going to an individual that very well may not see me and they may not know me and they may not be prepared to listen. And I will never forget traveling. My mother is in a private pay facility. They sent my mom in full blown Alzheimer's to the emergency room without anyone and did not call me. She was pulling out IVs. When I walked in after being informed by checking up on her because I was on my way to the facility, your mom's been rushed away. Where is she? EMTs took my mom and you're still here on the phone talking to me? Right. What's the problem with this? I walked in, my mother had pulled out all these. She's on her way out the door. She cannot be restrained. The bottom line is navigating caregiving as a black in America today has so many various gaps because they've got to begin to listen to us as caregivers and they've got to begin to actually internalize this is somebody's mother. Right. And this could be my mom or my dad. And that's what's missing. Yeah. That personal uh, touch and, and looking at people as human beings and not merely just as a patient 157362. Right. So, Dr. Hill, I know you hear this, and, and certainly the Alzheimer's Association is working to counteract this. Um, are there specific programs that are available that we can find out through uh, the Alzheimer's Association that can help people of color? Absolutely. Absolutely, Sybil. And, and again, our uh, 1-800-272-3900, important resource for anyone that would like to partner with the Alzheimer's Association, our webpage. Um, but we think that this is a important time to raise the, vil- the, the, the visibility of the need for more cultural competence, cultural accountability, right, in mm-hmm. the pro- providing of dementia care among dementia specialists, primary care physicians, you know, other uh, health care providers, cultural competence. And then, you know, Ms. Pat mentioned diversity within the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. So important. So how can we all begin to strengthen those pipelines between HBCUs? I'm a graduate of an HBCU or Hispanic serving institutions, tribal colleges and universities to get mm-hmm. these students into health professions, careers where they will end up providing care to individuals from their own communities. That's so important. And then, and then third, you know, I will say it again, 
really partnering with organizations. We've got a national partnership with the African Methodist Episcopal Church, where we're really looking to, to put our community professionals and leaders with the Alzheimer's Association, with the leaders you know, in churches and in, in cities and communities so that we can work together to deliver this information about a timely diagnosis or the 10 warning signs. You know, our communities know how to respond. You know, mm -hmm. we need the information and the education. And I'm, I'm hoping that the Alzheimer's Association can continue to be a part of this solution. Yeah. We are talking to Dr. Carl Hill of the Alzheimer's Association and Pat Bailey, who is a caregiving uh, phenom. She's an expert on this and, and an advocate for those going through this. While we're talking about uh, our HBCUs and beloved HBCUs, Dr. Hill, you want to give a shout out to your, your institution? Yes, Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia, undergrad, Morehouse School of Medicine for my master's in public health. First class awesome. there at Morehouse School of Medicine. So go Morehouse. Awesome, awesome. And how about your experience? How did you get here uh, to, to the Alzheimer's Association? Do you have a personal experience with this? I tell you, I am, I've been trained since college at Morehouse. And I did my, as I mentioned, my, my public health work at Morehouse School of Medicine to really focus on disparities, you know, health disparities, understanding, the pathways, the many diverse pathways that communities come to multiple uh, health outcomes. Right now, it's Alzheimer's and dementia. And knowing that African-Americans are twice as likely to have Alzheimer's than whites, I think it's an important call to action. It's right in line with my training. I did my graduate, uh, my, my doctoral training at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and worked with the program for research on Black Americans there. So, so really have been just committed to understanding uh, what, what we, we may call it minority health, we call mm -hmm. it Black American health, health disparities, but it's be, making sure that our people, you know, people, no matter their socioeconomic status or their race and ethnicity, have the resources to live the best lives possible, using research and data to inform us, but being sure that people have resources so they can live healthy lives. That, that, that's what I've been committed to. Uh, and, and not to take anything away from you, Dr. Hill, but I believe that uh, our, our fellow panelists here, uh, Pat Bailey, could probably uh, show the credentials for a PhD in this as well, uh, having, having lived through this with her mom and now uh, helping other people as they go through the process. And uh, it, is, it is a learning there's a learning curve to this, and, and there are stages, as you have mentioned. So let's talk about, and, and perhaps if we could each, uh, if we could have you, doctor, give us that first stage, and Ms. Pat, if you could give us uh, as close to that stage as you came into this to give a, a more personal context to this. And so, doctor, let's talk about that, that first visit or the recognition by family members that perhaps a doctor's visit is necessary. Well, you know, Sybil, the end, end stage of Alzheimer's can be extremely demanding, emotionally draining. I know Ms. Pat can speak to this for families, uh, for, for networks of individuals that are even, you know, making sure that caregivers are okay, right? So this is just mm -hmm. a tough situation. So the end stage of Alzheimer's can last from several weeks to several years. As the disease progresses, intensive around-the-clock care is usually uh, required in the person, I will need assistance with you know, eating, toileting, and other daily living activities. So most likely the person will be unable to talk and have trouble uh, communicating. So Ms. Pat will talk to this, but the care needed may exceed sometimes what caregivers can provide at home. And this uh, many times may mean uh, moving 
our loved one into a long-term care facility. These decisions are really tough from a cultural perspective as well, but very difficult for families. And, and some may experience guilt or sadness about having to move our family member into an assisted living or nursing home. So all of this is, I, I think, is what makes the Alzheimer's Association and the resources that we have nationally by 75 chapters around the country, wow. an important resource for families as they're going through this process. Ms. Pat, can you identify with this? Yes, very, very much so. And I want to share something that I have a significant love with the Alzheimer's Association having served on the board for four years here in the Texas market. So really in terms of outreach and advocacy and working through these ministries, it's been going on now in my life for about 12 years. Wow. And I want to go to where Dr. Hill is and I want to take an opportunity for the audience to understand there is cognitive decline, but there should be what a parallel, which is called cultural cues with cognitive decline. And this is where you have an opportunity to share with the extended caregiver and or medical providers key information on your loved ones. So where they are not able to advocate for themselves, this particular tool will advocate for them. So in my instance, my mother, who was in the care at an assisted living facility, and I draw this parallel because at home is one process. Extended the care out to strangers is entirely different. And in that instance, I created a cultural cue tool that was with her throughout the entire process. It was spanned across if it was occupational therapy, if it was actually the dietitian, if it was uh, dealing with her overall daily living age in terms of dressing. And I'm real clear. I'm like, look, hey, let me help you understand this. Burn the bra. Yes, burn the bra. She doesn't need it anymore. But more importantly, how do you feed her? If she went to the hospital, this cultural cue chart went with her. And mm. I still do it to this day where it's an open-ended statement for someone to know the loved one is hypersensitive, no last name. And I watched an EMT use it in her room because what is her name? Her name is outside the door. She's in this bed. He was able to say, May Lee, neat. He was able to talk directly to mm -hmm. her and mm -hmm. then get her to respond, cultural cues, build a wandering chart. And there's so many different tools at sheadeswell.com that's in parallel to what the Alzheimer's Association, along with there's information that I share there as well in our longstanding engagement to help the families know what to share with others. Right. We need to teach someone how to take care of our loved ones. That's right. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a long-term process. Uh, and, yeah. and you call it the end of life, but end of life for Alzheimer's can be for years, correct, Dr. Hill? Absolutely, absolutely. And and Ms. Ms. Pat really points out an important part of this. And it, again, it goes back to that special report from the Alzheimer's Association, uh, you know, that points to discrimination and not being heard, right? And so, you know, there's so much around culture here that we've got to understand where there's just, there's not a one size that fits all. Mm -hmm. You know, there is there's research that's needed to better understand how African Americans, you know, engage the system and what are, what some of the barriers are. So there's so much to learn, I think, from from where we are. And and uh, the, the you know the, one of the I think the important parts of this is acknowledging the discrimination that exists, right? Acknowledging the barriers and creating partnerships so that we can really make it a priority to learn how best to address these. I right. think it's critical and it's timely, particularly where we are in this country right now. Uh, with our real uh, focus on equity, you know, this should also apply to what we're what we're seeing with Alzheimer's and other dementia. 
We're talking to the esteemed Dr. Carl Hill of the Alzheimer's Association, also uh, caregiver advocate, Pat Bailey. She's also the uh, founder of She Ages Well, as we come together for an incredibly important and sadly often overlooked conversation that we don't necessarily want to have, but it is a necessary meeting. We need to have it and we need to have it starting even uh, younger than those of us in our 50s or 60s. This is a conversation that has affected young people now who are put into the position of being caregivers or even some in terms of being patients. And this is a conversation um, that perhaps needs to be had earlier than we are accustomed to having it. And as I said, uh, we are very, very lucky to have Dr. Carl Hill with us as well as Pat Bailey. Uh, Dr. Hill, as we talk about uh, some of these end of life services that should be considered, and you talked about what kind of hospitalization or what kind of home sh- the patient should be put in, um, do you help with that as well? Uh, is there some sort of due diligence that's done on the part of the Alzheimer's Association to help us find the right resources and places for our family members to live out their final days? Absolutely. Our our, our we have seventy five chapters around the coast around the country, so. There's the there's the resource of of receiving any help, right? And then there's the opportunity uh, to get help that our leaders working in communities have identified to be uh, optimal in many ways. So you know the first step is really you know calling our 800 number 800-272-3900. You know really you know asking that that question of of, of whether it's resources, education, opportunities to you know engage the association, and then being directed to the appropriate uh, leader uh, with the Alzheimer's Association working in a particular chapter so that, you know, our caregivers and loved ones can receive that type of information about dementia care uh, specialists. A- absolutely. And I, w- I would encourage everyone to even just to, to ask a question about the difference between Alzheimer's and dementia. We went over mm-hmm. that earlier to call our 800 number because they'd be happy to hear from you. And, and do you give care for the caregivers? Do you help them provide? help someone find care for the caregivers? Well, we have important resources, uh, Sybil, around you know, you know, engaging caregivers to share with one another, right? Mm-hmm. Because support, you know, s- support is so important for those that are providing you know, this, uh, I think, you know, honorable care to a loved mm-hmm. one with Alzheimer's. So, so we've got all kinds of opportunities to provide uh, you know, wellness resources to caregivers, uh, to caregivers to stay connected with others that are providing this care. Again, the first step is just calling us and right. and uh, and asking how we can help, and and, and we'll take it from there. Eight hundred two seven two thirty nine hundred. And Ms. Pat, not everyone can call you. Um, you know, and that's, and that's why I asked because you have you have become such a resource for so many. Um, but but as we wrap this up today, what would you say are some of the key things that you want people to think about? Those who are perhaps already faced with it, or looking at the possibility of of dealing with Alzheimer's as as it relates to a family or or friend. Right now, I want to stay in the space of uh, end stage, actually uh, the moderate and end stage phase, because what I'm going to say is that those are the two hardest phases overall for any one family because emotionally it takes a toll. Mm-hmm. So as, as Dr. Hill speaks to the phone number for the Alzheimer's Association, the 800-272-3900 number, one, yes, absolutely. The thing that also needs to be a mindful of is that you need help. You're going to need help for yourself and for someone else. So 
here's a, a, a variety of different lists of resources that's going to be available. You're going to need a Medicare locator. There is available on sheagentswell.com that information where you can actually begin to evaluate facilities and rate them. Why is that? There's a great probability that for end stage, you may not be able to do that in home. Mm-hmm. You're going to need uh, through the resources that's offered a list of various hospitals organizations and know how to evaluate them. You're going to need safety assessment tools. What does that mean? That means that there's a great probability that the life is not safe at home for your parent and loved one. What do I do? Because they very well may be a flight risk. You're going to need to know daily living age. Once we get the diagnosis, well, now what does that mean about me caring oh, for the loved one? What does my everyday life look like? Bedside bathing tools. All of this information becomes critical because there's fall risk. There's a lot of other things involved. Now, it, this may seem overstated and a little much. Mm-hmm. But the only other way that I can say this to everyone is that this is called planning. And with the fact that the tools are available to you, you want to make it your mission to take a look at if it's not your parent right now, how would someone care for you? Right. Yeah. And let's and, go through that list. Wow. That's that's powerful. That is absolutely powerful. And 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 Dr. Hill, as, as we are talking about this, um, you are the, the medical official in terms of this and in, in, in terms of, you know, uh, caring for people. But you guys have to have a real partnership with these family members, don't you? And that is vital. Absolutely. Absolutely. Partnership, you know, thinking of diversity, equity and inclusion, you know, participatory partnership is, uh, you know, really the bridge that allows us to to deliver our resources in ways that are culturally acceptable, right? And so that is not a one size that fits all in every city, every community. And that's why we're in 75 chapters around the country so that we can understand that, right? So it, mm-hmm. it partnership is so important. Uh, speaking of, you know, COVID-19, which puts, you know, an additional barrier right. on delivering these resources. The association is offering online and audio platforms, you know, to provide individuals and families with care consultations, as we mentioned, support groups and and disease education programs. So, you know, we're doing all that we can, um, you know, but we need help. And our help from an organizational perspective is being invited to come and talk on your show, Sybil, or or working with the AME Church, or we're really hoping to work with the National Divine Nine Panhellenic uh, mm-hmm. fraternities and sororities. Because again, this is a call to action uh, that I know with partnership, we can get our communities the information that they need and deserve. That's something else I was going to ask you both about. How has uh, the coronavirus pandemic, how has COVID-19 affected people in terms of diagnosis as well as treatment? Um, certainly because we have been in these pods, if you will, or, or separated from our family members. And, and we're talking delays in, in the recognition of, of Alzheimer's or other types of dementia. And, and how do we play catch up in all of this? So in, in my lane, Sybil, in the coaching lane, I'm getting a lot of phone calls to deal with resources that are not easily acceptable, except, uh, excuse me, susceptible and available to people. So I want you to think about the number of people that are in the United States and that we've got these area on aging offices of which you've got to apply. And now you have to do it online. So you are in yourself an aging person and you're going online to apply for Medicaid. How do I do that? And who's my case worker? And who's my advocate? Who's my Robinson programs be? All of these resources that were actually in partnership with the Alzheimer's Association have been stressed to the stretch, excuse me, to the limit. 
And we really don't know what this next year is going to be about because if we've gone through this year of isolation, isolation is another issue associated with potential of dementia. Mm -hmm. We all feel a little bit of a fog relative to this. And yes, care has been stretched to the limit. I hear caregivers complaining about um, their being able to get the doctor to understand what's going on because it's become a little bit more worse for them. A lot more mood swings. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are issues out here. Most yeah. Surely. yeah, yeah. Ms. Pat said it the best, but I'll just add on that the COVID-19 pandemic has really underscored the impact of health and health care disparities, mm-hmm. access to health care, right? Access yeah. to quality health care in the system, discrimination, right? And so we know that African-Americans and uh, Hispanic-Americans are more likely to be hospitalized or die from COVID-19 and the same disparities exist within Alzheimer's and other dementia, right? So many of the factors that, again, that they all don't rest in, you know, a genetic factor. It's these factors lie in in cultural, you know, ways of thinking, environmental, you know, uh, levels of analyses, you yeah. know, kind of upstream social factors where if we were able to get people the resources that they need when they need them, maybe we wouldn't see some of the disparities that we observe that we are saying today. I just want to ask you, because this is really important that we we do talk about your initiative, and that's finding new tomorrows. As we are looking at, we're coming to the end of of our segment here, and as we're looking ahead, uh, you've given us this great direction, finding new tomorrows. So tell us more about that, if you would, Ms. Pat, and how do we find that? (laughs) Well, finding new tomorrows will be available on the sheatiswell.com website. And what it actually is designed to do is help us address the issue of navigating black caregiving in America. So it's not just for me, the caregiver, it's for the people that are actually caring for me. We need to bridge a gap in a language discourse and disconnect just so we can be seen. But we have to be able to give people the cues in which to make that happen. So the objective on Finding New Tomorrows is to give you that playbook of sorts. So you can have this cultural cognitive cue chart to tell you what to tell someone else for your parent and loved one is to tell you how to use doctor's orders, because right now there are people who are going to end up in a primary care physician office and they're going to need to request a neurological workup. Oh, my gosh, you're going to ask him for that. Yes, I can. Yes, I can, because something's going on and I'm experiencing memory loss. Finding new tomorrows is a mechanism in which we can then treat this differently and have us become our own advocate in this process, which will be just amazing. That is amazing. And and Dr. Hill, as we close this out, um, just your final words, your final thoughts on this as um, we have we have a couple of minutes um, because you two are providing a great bridge uh, for a lot of people. But if there's something that we have forgotten, something that we have not mentioned uh, today that you want to leave with people. Ms. Sybil, thanks for having me on here today. And I, you know, we didn't talk as much about uh, clinical trial participation. And uh, so that that was one thing that was in my my brain uh, to talk about. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So you know, we, if we see the circumstance where African Americans, Black Americans are you know twice as likely to to have Alzheimer's, uh, the data shows us that uh, less than five percent of clinical trial participants in Alzheimer's clinical trials 
are non-white Americans, and that includes African Americans, right? And so we're in a scenario where less than five percent, less than five percent, right? And so that, that what that says, Sybil, is that the communities that are most impacted by this devastating disease aren't being recruited mm-hmm. into the clinical studies, and the, and the clinical studies are testing whether our treatment is safe or effective, right? So we're running the the, the situation where um, you know the the interventions and the, the pharma pharmacological the drugs that that may be approved by FDA we won't know if they're safe or effective, right? And so again, and so, so yeah, yeah, can we yeah. call the Alzheimer's Association and be uh, connected with people in terms of our participating in the trials? Absolutely, eight eight hundred two seven two thirty nine hundred, and ask about trial match, or go to alz.org backslash trial match important resource because you can go there similar to a dating matching service you can put in some key information about uh your 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 uh, diagnosis a type of dementia that you may have and the kinds of clinical trials that are currently underway in your geographic area so alz.org backslash trial match great matching service for understanding what trials you know you might be able to participate in Dr. Hill, I think that is an incredible comparison to matching up with dates. I think you you have capsulized how this looks with so many of us who, you know, want to swipe left and right. And now you have told us how we can do this with Alzheimer's being a part of this as well. Um, Dr. Carl Hill, I want to thank you so much for being a part of this. And I really hope that folks will go uh, to uh, the Alzheimer's Association as well as all of these other uh, organizations that that Ms. Pat has talked about. Uh, And you are just, uh, you are a font of information as the Chief Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer for the Alzheimer's Association, where you oversee the strategic initiatives to strengthen the outreach to populations and as we are talking about people of color. Uh, Ms. Pat, you, as always, you you bring it and um, this has been a wonderful opportunity. This, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I hope if you're just coming in, I hope that you will go back and watch all of this very special edition of What You Need to Know. Uh, We are working in partnership with Cafe Mocha, and uh, as we have uh, brought these wonderful people together for an important uh, but often overlooked conversation uh, that we don't necessarily want to have, but we need to have, and it is all about us. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Dr. Hill. Thank you, Pat Bailey. We appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Cafe Mocha is a production of Miles Ahead Broadcasting in partnership with Compass Media. Executive producer Sheila Eldridge. For comments, booking, or more information, visit CafeMochaRadio.com. Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a black perspective curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a yes. point of view. We call that edutainment. That's what we call it. Ed- is that what it is? Veteran TV journalist Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary Unky Divas in Vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. To syndicated broadcast personalities, Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. 
More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, targeted electronic newsletter, experienced sales representation, for advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective. <laughs>